And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show and our review of the day. The USMNT qualified for the knockout rounds of the 2022 World Cup. Yes, you didn't imagine it. It wasn't a dream. The US are through to the round of 16. It was a tense game that took plenty of guts. But please, spare a thought for Christine Pulisic's nuts. <laughs> oh dear. And England are through with a hint of grandeur after putting to bed a Wales team that were quite poor. Marcus Rashford's goal was tastier than Golden Corral. He'll need to be tastier than Chile when England faced Senegal. And speaking of Senegal, <laughs> they broke Ecuadorian hearts with an impressive victory that was greater than the sum of their parts. And the Dutch topped Group A by trouncing Qatar and Cody Gakpo remains their main star. It's been fun watching the Dutch enjoy some success, but please, none of that when they face the US. My mm. name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who recently drank from a shoe... For the second time I've seen him do it this week. Taylor Rockwell, hello. Hello, and the second time in my life at that. It's, it's been an eventful <laughs> week and an eventful introduction. Amateur. Another, probably so, another incredible intro from Ryan. I knew there would be a Pulisic joke in there somewhere, and you still knocked it out of the park. Outstanding work by you, my friend. Thank you very much, Tater. Joining us, a man whose shoey technique has improved as this tournament has progressed, as you'd expect as a tournament goes on. Joe Lowry, hello. Hello, Ryan. I still can't get over that game and that moment and all of us being bent over behind the couch at the Bleacher Report studio. Oh, sorry, what? Hope, oh, okay. <laughs> hoping, <laughs> hoping that the U.S. would hold on and that that wasn't going to be a penalty on Cameron Carter-Vickers. I, oh, man. I'm still a little bit in shock. Yeah, yeah that was a yes. moment. Yeah. Yeah, that was a tense moment. We'll get to that very shortly, but not before we introduce a man who's quietly moving all his Netherlands shirts to the back of his wardrobe. <laughs> wardrobe? Wardrobe. Graham Ruthman, hello. And moving my USA shirts to the to the fore of that wardrobe for Saturday. I, I'm already looking forward to that game. I know we're going to mm. discuss the Iran game and what went right for the US in that game, but yeah, I'm already thinking about how big that game is going to be. It feels big already, doesn't it? Thinking yeah. about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I cannot wait. We're definitely going to talk about that. I have a question for you, Graham. Does that mean you have to get a Pulisic jersey? It, yes, it does. I of course it does. About that. I was hoping that no one would pick me up on that, but yes, I believe a bet is a bet. I will be buying a USMNT Pulisic jersey. Uh, measure to make it be double zero in honor of, oh, uh, of course, the, yeah. the region that was uh, harmed. <laughs> yeah, Pulisic uh, double I, zero. There we go. You should get Pulisic yes. shorts okay. is what you should really get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did see, Graham, were you wearing Benfica shorts yesterday and then Juve joggers? Was that, that right? That was right, yeah. So and an Ajax shirt. Graham will wear uh, like club branded and maybe even player branded lower half clothing items, so never say never. Yeah, the Pulisic shorts, I might also have to purchase those as well. Can I just say, by the way, uh, it's International Daryl Grove Day today as we record with England and USA wins, both teams going through to the next round of the World Cup. Beautiful moment. It really, really was. It's kind of amazing. Uh, I, I, I genuinely woke up this morning very, very nervous and then realized what day it was and felt better. Like It felt like it was like the, the U.S. cannot fail to get out of the group on International Daryl Grove Day. Uh, 
to be honest, didn't really think so much about England, but I am glad that they did make it out, and I'm not surprised that they topped the group. It was nice to see Ryan Bailey have a moment of joy as they were uh, pretty comfortable in their win, and also that Ryan got, I believe, all of his bets correct today. Did, did, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's one of those, wish I'd put more on them kind of situations, but hey, these things all come out in the wash, don't they? Uh, one more thing to get to before we get to the games, patreon.com slash Show for our bonus World Cup content. If you haven't joined the party, please do so. We've got additional podcasts, we've got videos, we've got Joe, other stuff, right? Yeah, other stuff. I don't know what video. I think up today we're going to post a video from our soccer game that we all played mm. yesterday. Ooh. I know there is out there. I think Graham might have already posted it on social media, so I don't know if it'll be this video. But there is a video where I have a, a relatively decent first touch, picking it out of the air. Mm. I was pretty proud of that. Either way, there'll be other videos that we have up over the course of this mm. tournament. It's been genuinely, I think, very fun so far, and I'm really happy with the kinds of content that we're putting out. We've had fun with it, and I, I think folks have had fun with it too. Yeah, and, and by the way, Joe totally undersold his soccer ability. Big time. Uh, Joshua Kimmich, he's now known as, uh, the midfield enforcer. Uh, very impressive stuff from Joe, and very impressive stuff on our Patreon. After this uh, after this recording, I believe we're going to do some player ratings for the US game. So uh, stick around or join if you haven't already on the Patreon. 10 out of 10. Party. The whole way across. Is that how it works? Did yeah. I do it right? Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah. Shakmur as well? 1 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to it. Iran nil, USA 1. Christian Pulisic with his 22nd US goal, making the difference. This one was a nail-biter, Taylor, was it not? There was a, a potential yep. one-goal swing here with Iran coming a little too close for comfort in the dying minutes. Yes, absolutely. And I think uh, really emphasized by that last-minute penalty shout, it goes to VAR. It's not given. I was terrified. I could not watch live. When we did the post-game show, I speculated that there was a chance that in re-watching I would feel better about this performance, and that is exactly how that played out. Not just because it was I could then kind of relax and realize that they had advanced, but also because I think Berhalter, for the most part, got his substitute correct. I think they played it smart with getting numbers behind the ball, heading it clear, and even that penalty shout, I I had not seen a single moment of it. I, I had my head buried in the couch. I was so nervous. Uh, to watch it again and realize that that was never going to be given as a penalty made me feel even better because it felt mm-hmm. in the moment like, oh no, this is how it's all going to end, and that's not how it ended. Instead, on to the knockout round. I, I knew it was tense in the room when sort of there was, you know, the ball was in the middle of the field. There wasn't, a, like, it wasn't at either end. There wasn't mm-hmm. a threat of a goal, and I was like, Taylor, do you like P.F. Chang's? And you're like, not now! <laughs> Yeah. Wait, you were in like the fourth minute of the game. Like, should we just have casual conversation? Tactics to be analyzed, players to be watched, and mostly just me unable to focus on anything else because <laughs> I was very nervous. I mean, yeah, anytime Iran got the ball in that first half, I, I, I felt the same way uh, I did whenever England had the ball in the opening minutes of that game. Just anything could happen. You never know. The number one thing I didn't want was for the United States to concede a goal in those first 10 minutes because that changes the entire narrative of this one. So when, if like the U.S. grew into it a bit more, had more possession started to play their game that's when I felt a little more comfortable that's when I asked you if you wanted PF Changs but you were busy I believe doing other things it was it was a, a swing and a miss situation across the board is now the time to talk about PF Changs <laughs> no no, no. Uh, Patreon Patreon yeah, we'll, Patreon, do, we'll yeah. do it there um, Joe uh, this was the youngest starting 11 lineup at the tournament so far for any team uh, you got to be impressed with the way they handled themselves in a game which was very tricky against an opponent who were you know potentially only playing for a draw here and who made it difficult 100% I am I'm thrilled with how this US team played today they were not perfect but they checked pretty much all of the boxes so one of the early boxes Taylor you talked about was not conceding against Iran 
And Iran never, I, I know, Taylor, you're talking about being nervous in those moments because there is always the thought of what could be. Exactly. Yeah. Iran, we're not dangerous, nope. right? And I think we, we know that now. We knew that even at the time, but it is difficult to remove emotions in that way. Mm. But Iran never threatened the U.S. in the first half. They had nothing on the break. Cameron Carter-Vickers had a couple of dicey moments, some good moments as well, which, Graham, you can talk about whenever you want to raise your Celtic flag here, <laughs> as I know you love to do for Cameron Carter-Vickers. But... I mean, the U.S. conducted themselves very, very well in this game. They, can I just, sorry, can I jump ahead. in, Joe? Saying they're not a threat, you could you could spin it and say that the U.S. limiting that team yes. to one shot on target yes. is a is a plus. Absolutely, I, yeah, that was what I was attempting to do, probably poorly, to say mm. Iran weren't a threat because maybe I hadn't finished my very long point here. Because sorry, the U.S. could no, it's fine. Because they controlled the game so yeah, I love every this. point <laughs> you're making. <laughs> I'm too tired for this, man. Uh, Joe, go ahead. U.S. defended good (laughs) in this game. They did good at defending in transition. Tyler Adams was great. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Tyler Adams was great in this match. I think he did a lot of things very well. And the U.S. get their goal. It comes off of an 11-pass sequence that comes off in the 38th minute. Christian Pulisic lays it all, truly yeah. all, on the line. Yeah. And and even all the build-up before then is so clean from the U.S. And maybe I'll, I'll do a beat on the U.S.'s possession in, in Baralter later on in this show. But, I mean, yeah, pretty much yeah. only things to like in the first half. And, and even though the second half wasn't as pretty... Just as effective in the second half. Yeah, in the moment, I have to say I wasn't so keen in the the drop back to the to the back three mm-hmm. with Zimmerman coming on. Absolutely. But I think in hindsight, it did show a good appreciation of the phase of the match that that, that the US were in and Iran were in. Up until that point, Iran hadn't really got around the, the US in the wide area, so you didn't really get the sense that they were they were going to get in behind, that they were going to stretch that defence. And so it was largely about just just defending in that moment mm-hmm. and heading them away. And of course, Walker Zimmerman, the the, the giant Viking himself. There's there's not many players better. At doing doing that at, at this World Cup so in hindsight I do think it was a good appreciation of what the match needed what the US needed at specific moments of the game yeah and and I think another thing to emphasize here for me is watching this one it felt a lot like this is how the Wales game played out US super strong played a great first half it seemed like it was going to be there for the win and then they seed possession they drop off they're not as dominant and they let Wales back in and I was very nervous that that was going to be the case in this game a thing we talked about in the post match of that and we've talked about since to point Joe makes pretty consistently so I'm going to lift it here is that the United States has a strong or strong enough starting 11. Once you start getting into some of those ben- bench options, it drops off a little bit. And there are players in that squad who are very good at doing specific things, but not necessarily like for like replacements. If Tyler Adams gets hurt or he had been suspended, we don't really have anybody who can do that job. Uh, same thing for some of the attackers, same thing for some of the number nines even. They do different things. And so we don't yet have the, the depth of talent to be able to have like for like changes and I think keep that style going. Once you start to change out, when you take out Weston McKinney, if you've already brought in Brendan Aronson and if Gio Reyna maybe still isn't fit enough to play a game, we're still not quite sure what the situation is there. There's no other real midfielder who can play the technical way that they want to play, but also cover the ground, but also put in those challenges. You have to put in Kellen Acosta, and that's a different type player, so it requires a different setup at that point. So in that way, I didn't love it in the moment. It made me very nervous, but understanding what Iran were doing and what Greg Berhalter was trying to do in response, it makes a lot more sense. So we had a couple changes from the previous game. We had uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers coming in for Zimmerman, uh, Sergeant in for Wright. Uh, Graham, how do you feel mm. about those changes? I didn't expect to see CCV at this World mm-hmm. Cup. I, I have to say I, I didn't think once Berhalter settled on Reem as the partner for Zimmerman that he would get a game, frankly. But I, I guess the theory was that his distribution would help the US play out um, and play through Iran, who were expected to, to use a, a low defensive block or a mid block, as, as actually turned out to be the case. And I thought he did well in that regard. I, I can't say there were many stunning line splitting passes, but he kept other than the... ones from Matt Turner. Sorry, I know you're yeah. talking about CCV, but iron line 
splitting passes and I had to chime in. In the, in the second half in particular, there was a couple there where I think they were bypassing the midfield. Yeah, and sure. and re- there was one that Tim Weir, he kind of whiffed on it and runs out of play. But yeah, we had to kind of check that that was Matt Turner that had played that pass. But yeah, uh, CCV I thought did reasonably well in that regard. There wasn't anything kind of stunning, but um, I thought he kept the supply line open to Dest. There were a couple of diagonal balls that might not have come come off, but it kept the, the US uh, unpredictable in possession. And then the other theory was that CCV just has a bit more recovery pace than Zimmerman. And again, I thought we saw that in moments. There were a couple of moments where it felt like CCV was, was living on the edge, but he never dived, dived in. Mm-hmm. He used his strength. And in the end, Asman in particular just never got round him. Um, and there were two moments, we spoke about this on the BR Live show, there were a couple of moments when Tyler Adams had to yes. kind of get on him, particularly after the first five minutes, where he wasn't stepping high. Asman was being allowed to, to bring the ball down. And then after that, I thought he was very good at, at kind of poking the ball away and making sure that they yeah, weren't agreed. able to, to, to sustain um, anything in the final third. I have to say, my heart was in my mouth for the penalty call, but yeah. I think looking back at it, there's not enough contact there for a penalty. So I think overall, I agree with you, Joe, a couple of dicey moments, but overall it, it, he delivered when that was difficult. That was a difficult situation for yep. CCV. He has barely played in the cycle for this US, mm-hmm. you know, this US team. He's thrown into a side in a must-win game in a World Cup. And as I say, I thought he generally delivered. All of that is definitely true. It also still made me love Tyler Adams all the more just because there were so many like, come on, new guy moments of, hey, you're coming into this. We've been playing a certain way. You got to back it up and play that way, too. And I think to his credit, Cameron Carter Vickers, in those first opening minutes, you mentioned the first one where Adams comes in and has a word. He's dropping off too much. He's sitting too deep and he's not able to challenge for any of those long clearances. So the U.S. loses two of them. They get flicked on and now they're on their heels. Those are the moments when I felt like, oh, no, Iran are a bit more aggressive. Adams has a word, and the next three of those CCV steps wins them in the United States retained possession and really start to suffocate Iran as the half goes on. So I think he adapts his game. He has some of those uh, like heart and throat moments for me, but overall, uh, I-, I think in the end, he-, he did well enough. I don't know if he'll end up starting because it seems like Greg Berhalter will-, will change it up based on the opponent, but I thought he-, he did enough certainly to get the result and keep it scoreless. Tyler Adams, uh, another good performance from him. Would, would we call him uh, our man of the match for this one, Taylor? I, I think certainly the man of the tournament for the US, for me, I'd say. just yeah. He just seems to be rising above the parapet in general for this yeah. US side, from my observations. Not just on the field, but even the way he handled that um, around press conference as well. He just seems to yeah. say the right things, do the right things. He the man. Watching that press conference again before the game, it, it, it feels like that was a scripted question. How good his answer was to that. It was so thoughtful, uh, but like relevant to the topic, but also kind of de-escalates things and wasn't defensive at all. And then instant, extend that to this performance today, and that's what he did. He yeah. de-escalates when he needs to, but then he can go and make plays, and he, he's very thoughtful, and I think maybe slightly aggressive in his communication on occasion, but I think he's very good about picking the team up, about covering ground, about putting out fires. Uh, I mentioned this in the BR show as well, that even late in the game, he's still applying pressure higher up the pitch to disrupt Iran and and just make them have to think, break them out of their rhythm a little bit. Uh, He was everywhere today, and one of the most important things is that he doesn't get uh, a second yellow. He picks up one here, but for the U.S. across the board, nobody suspended for that knockout round game. So many times in the past when the U.S. has been trying to get out of the group or they have booked their place in the knockout round it comes at the expense of missing key players due to yellow card accumulation very happy that we have Tyler Adams against the Dutch 
And Joe, how about the rest of the MMA def- uh, midfield, I should say? Moose and McKenny. McKenny here with a, a lovely ball to set up. The, do we call that the MLS assist for the uh, for the Christian? Don't right, we goal? do. Don't right, we do. And I still am am uh, and choked up over the fact that Matt Turner didn't get the MLS assist for that Tim Wea goal that was ruled offside. Correctly ruled offside right what before halftime. If that had counted, I don't know if Joe Lowry would have like he would have floated off. I was going to say I think he ascended to a higher plane yes. the moment that happens. Yes. Matt Turner, I, I know I mentioned it. And it this is not what you asked. <laughs> yeah, right. Matt Turner was was unreal in this game with his distribution and has really been excellent at that in this tournament. Which is something we maybe didn't expect. No, not at all. I I was panicking every single time Matt Turner had the ball against Wales or maybe it was against England, maybe both. A little less so today because he's shown that repeatedly in this tournament. Ryan, this does connect to the MMA midfield. It does connect to McKinney because Turner, Musa, McKinney, and Adams are all involved in the U.S.'s goal sequence. Mm-hmm. It's an 11-pass sequence. It goes from back. It goes really from the midfield, then back, then front. It involves a really good ball from Matt Turner, I believe, to Tim Weah in the right half space. The, the passing sequence goes like this. It goes from Musa to Adams to Turner to Weah to Musa to Dest to Adams to Jedi to Adams to McKinney. Then this is where, Ryan, you mentioned that MLS assist. McKinney plays this chipped ball in. It's a beautiful pass over to the right wing for Serginho Dest, who weights his header perfectly yeah. across to Christian Pulisic. That, that is the single prettiest play the U.S. has had, maybe under Greg Berhalter? Certainly at this World Cup. I'd have to go back and think a bit more on the whole Berhalter era thing. It's also the best chance the U.S. has created in this mm-hmm. World Cup. This moment from McKenney, from Musa, from Adams, from you know other players working off the ball to create space for Christian Pulisic to then run in behind or for Dest to receive in the box, all of this is what Greg Berhalter has been trying to do. From day one in December of 2018, Berhalter takes his job. He talks about changing the way the world views American soccer. He, talk, he talks about disorganizing the opponent with the ball. The U.S. maybe do both of those things in this game. The, the changing the way the world sees the U.S. is, is sort of a harder thing to to really quantify, but the U.S. do disorganize the opponent with the ball in mm-hmm. this game. They were going to have to coming into this match. That was the only way they were going to beat Iran. I believe Carlos Quiroz talked about, you know, this U.S. team was Ferraris, and maybe relative to some of the talent Iran have or don't have, that's true. And he said, you know, the way to stop Ferraris is to close the highways, which is a great quote, and it is emblematic of how Iran liked to play and how they played in this game. They didn't create space for the U.S. They didn't give the U.S. anything. The U.S. had to make it for themselves. I do think Greg Baralther deserves some credit for how this U.S. team came out and played today and what he's equipped this team to do. It has not been easy. It has been painful for large mm-hmm. stretches of the last almost four years now. But today, it, it mm. worked, and I would bet for Berhalter, it made it all worth it. And in that goal, those three players that were involved, we saw the best version of those three players. Yep. You have Wes McKenney obviously, playing the pass. Sergino Dest, who I, th- I thought was, again, very good mm. in, in, in this game. I think he's had a good World Cup so far. He's making the run to the byline. The, the, the space was in the wide areas for the U.S. repeatedly in this game. And then you have Christian Pulisic crashing the box, making that run to the, to the back post. And actually, I think that's a slightly underrated, underappreciated ga- uh, part of Christian Pulisic's game, as he has has those number nine instincts mm-hmm. and we don't see that enough for the US particularly for a US team where they don't have a, a, a goal scoring number nine that you can count on to score 20 goals a season Christian Pulisic can can I guess feasibly share a lot of the loads in that regard so it was pleasing to see Pulisic have those instincts recognize what phase of the the, the, the play was in in terms of that goal and make that run and then put himself on the line I think he's on I think he might be in a hospital as we're recording this but it seems like it's just a precaution and he'll be fine for the Netherlands game put himself and his future children on the line mm. uh, is how I'll phrase that one but I also think for Pulisic had a a very Pulisic performance in the first half that I mean in a positive way, but also kind of a negative way. That we, we saw those moments where maybe he holds the ball a little bit too long. Maybe he tries too much, tries to take too many people on. 
But I then wonder if that helped set up that goal because so many of the attacks were coming down that left-hand side with him going at people and trying to draw people in that this this goal coming from the right-hand side and it's a ball over the top with Iran kind of condensing into the middle and then Des makes that run into space and heads it back across. That's much more of the team play that Greg Berhalter is focused on. And so to have the individual play in the first half, but then the team play be what results in the goal, I agree with Joe. It has to be a very happy moment for Greg Berhalter. Certainly was happy a moment for most U.S. fans, uh, except for maybe, again, like Christian Pulisic's family and friends. And there was a bounce pass in there as there well. There was. So, mm, yes, the quintessential yes, Greg Berhalter game. He's He really has been building all of the, the last <laughs> few years up to this moment. Did he go over the top with the shoes, though? Where are we on the shoes? Uh, sl- sl- slightly. Not mm-hmm. not my sort of style, but yep. hey, I'm not going to criticize him today. This is your day, uh, Triple GB. I'm working on that nickname. Would you have consumed a beer out of them? Uh, I feel like they're quite efficient for a, for a Shuri, actually. Maybe that's what he was going for. They, uh, Maybe yeah. there were some Shuri's after the game. We don't know how that, that post-game went, yeah. You, you drink a beer out of Tyler, Tyler Adams' boots, wouldn't you? Yeah. You probably drink his bathwater, I'm guessing. <laughs> that, 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 that may be a bit too far, but you yeah. know, I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> what kind of shampoos he you Taylor didn't say no. To <laughs> I didn't hear a denial. Expertly yeah. dodged. <laughs> and just one more note before we hit the break. So, do you know Dest's hair, Graham? There was a big talking point in our oh, yeah. show about oyster grey, I believe. Mm. The color. Is that what Aguero has as well? Oyster grey, possibly? Uh, very fashionable. It is very fashionable, and I guess you can get away with it when you're playing at a World Cup and being really good. So, I think I said in the BR live show, if the US wins the World Cup, I'll do... My, I'll, I'll uh, dye my hair oyster grey in honour of Sergio Dest. So if the US wins a World Cup round of 16 game, Graham is going to turn <laughs> Yes, that's what, I heard, that's what I heard. We all yep. heard it. Yep, mm-hmm. we all heard it. It's on record. I mean, we, we've established, put it to a vote. All in favour? Okay, aye, okay. Aye. okay. Oh, if he scores... Right? Genuinely, if he scores in that game against the Netherlands, I will... Graham, I'll, Graham just yeah. keeps making up these things that he actually wants to do but feels a need to tie to the U.S. men's <laughs> national team. He wanted to buy a U.S. jersey yeah. even though he knows they're ugly. He uh, wants to dye his hair gray. I mean, Graham, you could just do this stuff. You don't have yeah, to right. ask. <laughs> yeah. Okay, You're sure. a big boy. I'll just do it. No, I'm not going to do it. So, if England take to the field this weekend for a game, I will eat a steak. Okay. Oh, How's that sound? Bold, Ryan. At, at, at Chili's. <laughs> of course. Where else would I get? No, one? no, no. Graham, Ryan does not get steaks at Chili's. He gets crispy chicken, crispers, chicken, crispers, chicken. Chicken, crisper chickens. Yeah. Yeah. They're delicious. Anyway, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, a deep analysis of Qatar's three losing games. Just kidding. More US stuff. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but... 
For the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the program. Taylor, Yes. we have to give Greg Berhalter credit yep. for this run into the round of 16. Where does it uh, where does it bring his standing in the game? I mean, mm-hmm. whatever happens here, the US have gone through. Like, yeah. th- th- We can say what we like about the route there, but yeah. it's happened. Absolutely. And, and, and I think we talked about the England game being the most important game of his tenure at that point. We talked about this game being the most important game of his tenure after getting that draw against England. Here we are in both of those games to get four points, to not lose a game in this, uh, in this group stage. And I heard Matt Doyle make this point. For the U.S. to have played or have been the better team in five of the six halves they've played in this World Cup or thereabouts is not a thing I expected heading into this competition. Certainly would like a few more goals. I was really hoping for a uh, 2-0 win uh, here, mostly just for my own like sanity and stress and blood pressure and everything. But I, I think there's going to be plenty of people who still doubt Greg Berhalter and are waiting for the U.S. to crash out. Uh, and I don't know if he'll end up renewing. We've had that conversation many times, if U.S. soccer will want him to or if he'll walk away. But... I think if you see his time in charge of the U.S. men's national team as leading up to this World Cup and getting out of the group, he has achieved that along the way. He has beaten Mexico in meaningful competitions, which is always a very important metric for U.S. uh, M&T managers. And and I still think that there's an opportunity for the United States against the Dutch. And Mm -hmm. if that happens and they make it Mm -hmm. as far as they ever have, then... You have to kind of reevaluate again. It feels like each game keeps being important, but at this point, he is a little bit playing with house money. I I hope it doesn't end up 3-0, but I really do think there are some chances there for the U.S. Yeah, I mean, getting out of the last 16 was the baseline. That is a tick in that box. I am not quite ready to make... Getting out of the last 16 or getting getting into it? Sorry, getting into the last 16, getting out of the group. Yeah, was a check. All right, a check check in that box, right, okay. But um, (laughs) nonetheless, that is... uh, If I check that box, I'm going to buy a pair of shoes. I'm Graham (laughs) Rutherford. Okay, <laughs> that is a that is a relative success for the US under Berhalter. I'm I am not quite ready to make. I'm not saying you were doing this, Taylor, but I, I am not quite ready to draw kind of solid conclusions mm-hmm. yet. I don't think I'm quite fully on board with. There have been parts of periods in these in the games at this World Cup where the US has played the way that he, that he wants to, 
But I think I look at what has been key to the US doing relatively well at this World Cup, getting out of the group, and it's it's the defence. It's the strength of the defence. The US are unbeaten. I think they are a very difficult team to play against. And I think actually knockout football against the Dutch, that could be a good matchup. But Joe, if you're talking about the mission statement of what is it, um, kind of disorganising with possession, with the ball, yeah. I think we've seen that in, in periods of games, but we haven't seen it in full fruition yet. Yeah. That's just why I'm not totally there yet. So I think there will have to be a reevaluation at the end of this World Cup. But given the criticism he's faced before this tournament, he can feel pretty good about how he's proven a lot of doubters wrong. And I don't think you have to be all the way there. I'm not really all the way there either. I don't think really anybody should be all the way there on Greg Berhalter. Agreed. But at the same time, I think this game was really the culmination of a lot of what he's tried to do. And the U.S. succeeded today. Like, they played his way. They played this, we're going to control the ball because we have to, because Iran were never going to do it coming into this match. They controlled the ball, and they created the, the best chance of their World Cup so far, and, and maybe one of the best goals, period, as a team of the World Cup so far as well. That counts for something. I don't love, and, I, and we've made this clear, Taylor, you and I and Graham, the three of us, and Ryan, the four of us, over the last you know however many years now, we've made it clear I think I've made my opinion clear that the U.S. has not always gone about things in certainly the way that I would have or what I believe the right way. You can talk about personnel, you can talk about tactics, you can talk about game management. All of those things apply. I don't think Greg Berhalter has nailed any of those things, nor do I think he would tell you that either. But I do think the U.S. did well today. They play Greg Berhalter's way, and if they hadn't had this uh, this foundation to play this sort of possession-based soccer against a, a low block... Then, then maybe they don't get out. Maybe we're yeah. having an entirely different conversation. So Brother deserves credit. I think he was vindicated in a lot of respects today. But we also don't have to go back retroactively and say, wow, like, man, this guy is a genius and he nailed everything. I don't, I don't think that's fair either. It has to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I, I think w- what I can say, like, there's two sides to this for me. The first is, like, looking at the changes he makes in this game, I don't love them in the moment. I'm still not sure I love them now, but they get the job done. And against Wales, he doesn't go to a back five. He doesn't make some of those more defensive changes. He just has the U.S. play more defensively, and it doesn't work. So in that way, I think you can make an argument that he learned his lesson from that game yeah. and, and really made the U.S. play more defensively and put personnel in there that allowed them to execute that game plan. That said, there are still opportunities here where the U.S. could play better, could be more proactive, could be more on the front foot, and we don't know if a, if a different coach, a better coach, could make them play that way, if it is talent issues, if it is personnel issues. All I can say is that he has achieved the minimum that I was looking for in this World Cup of getting out of the group, and that is more than you can say for other managers from CONCACAF at this point, yeah. especially Mexico's manager, who I long thought should have been the U.S. Uh, manager. Here we are with the U.S. getting out and Mexico needing some help and to get a result that they haven't yet gotten. It, it's a confusing world we live in yeah. where it seems that Greg Berhalter is the most stable CONCACAF coach at this point and I think Taylor you make the point there about learning lessons that that is the key part for for me because this is was it the youngest you said Ryan the youngest team at this World Cup today uh, it was the youngest I think it was the youngest team that's like the youngest starting 11 today yeah, yeah. bunch of little babies yeah <laughs> so there is going to be a learning process that is that is natural you're, you're not going to have any team in world football international or club soccer that there's not going to be that learning process so you need a manager that is that is willing to except when he's wrong, I guess. And maybe we did see that, that shift to back five, an admission from Berhalter that he did get something wrong in that second half of that Wales game. And if yeah. he continues that progression, then that's a good thing. 
So Berhalter won't be getting the sack. The only person who got the sack today was Iran's goalkeeper, of course, during that goal movement. <laughs> um, what do we think, Joe, about the substitutes oh, that were I'm made in the second half? Oh, goodness Sorry, gracious. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. Um, I mean, I'm laughing. <laughs> Pulisic obviously coming out for Brendan Aronson. We had Kellen Acosta coming in. Hadji Wright for Josh Sargent. Shaq Moore and Walker Zimmerman coming on with around 10 minutes of regular time to go as well. Did we like those movements? Okay, so there's a few different beats that I want to do here. The first is a couple of the injury-related subs. I thought bringing Aronson on for Pulisic, if it's not going to be Reyna, and I, I did want it to be Reyna, mm-hmm. we still don't know what's going on there. Taylor, you said that. I don't have anything else to say about Gio Reyna for the purposes of this game, other than hoping that he's back for the Netherlands. Who knows what's happening there? Aronson, I thought, made sense. It was for an injury. I get that. The same goes for Haji Wright, who comes on midway through the second half. Josh Sargent picks up a leg injury of some kind. It didn't look very good. Apparently, he was crying on the sidelines as he was taken off in, in this game, according to Jenny Taft on the Fox broadcast. So, I don't know what's going on there exactly. Yeah. My, my hope is that, so it looks like he hyperextends it, but my hope would be that he he jams it. It's really, really uncomfortable. I've had that happen before without tearing anything. I have also had that happen and torn everything in my knee. It can really go either way. So it might just be that the emotion of having to be substituted yeah. out, of not being able to finish that game, or of being afraid that something has yeah, happened that. has gotten to him. It could also be that it's a much more severe injury. Sure. I will certainly hope that it is the less severe of the two, because I thought he was really good in, the, in this game. And I also think thus far we haven't seen another number nine who can do what he can do for the U.S. Yeah, I mean, his, his performance, I know we have a very small sample size of only three games, but his performance today I thought was the best number nine performance we've seen from a U.S. player at this World Cup. I thought yep. his hold-up play was very good. He was timing his, his runs well, and there was a couple of times when he was able to get in behind in the box, bring the ball down. I think there's one instance where he brings the ball down, he lays it back to, to Tim Weir, who has a, a pretty wayward shot, admittedly. But it was the first time in, in this tournament I thought we'd seen the number nine kind of conduct attacks and I guess that's when you don't have a number nine that you're hitting with with crosses and um, asking to finish chances in the box. I guess someone that conducts the attack and brings other into, others into the game is probably what you're hoping for. And we saw that in periods from Josh Sargent. I would say our, our friend and I, I suppose colleague Paul Tenorio had a series of tweets in which he seemed to grow increasingly frustrated with Haji Wright, specifically his lack of defensive pressure uh, as the game was was ticking away. There wasn't much pressure being applied to the Iranian players playing the ball into the box, hitting those long balls. Joe, we talked about why it was maybe Josh Sargent over Jesus Ferreira to start the game, but you have also made a point that Jesus Ferreira is quite good in the press. Yep. Doesn't it feel like this could have been the opportunity, or do you feel like Haji Wright was also there to alleviate some of that pressure uh, uh, with his presence on the ball, even though that didn't really happen in this game? I'll, I'll try to say this in the nicest way possible. Uh-oh. I I don't care. Okay. Like I mean, this, that's how I've been about the nines all mm-hmm. along. Right. Wright brings more hold-up play than Ferreira, so I can see the benefit there if you think about the U.S. needing to alleviate pressure one way or the other. Wright is going to be the bigger-bodied guy to help you do that, at least relative to Jesus Ferreira. Ferreira might buzz around a little bit, but he doesn't have the same back-to-goal ability that Haji Wright does, nor does he really slip in behind as well as Haji Wright. So this is one of those cases, and I want to loop it all the way back to Ryan's sub-discussion as well. This is one of those cases where I can see both paths, right? I can understand Paul being frustrated with Haji Wright not moving around. I would need to go back and rewatch that more closely to, to understand that a bit better. But, like, I can see Baralter's reasoning one way or the other to go with Wright, to go with Ferreira, or to even go with Sargent to start the game. Like, for me, there's just still not enough separating these players, and there probably wasn't enough separating them at the end of this match either for me to have really a strong preference. Mm-hmm. The other subs in this game, which I think are the more polarizing ones than the one I mentioned so far, just to, just to make sure that we get them in their proper categories. Kellen Acosta as well doesn't really fit in this category. He comes on the bench. He comes off the bench for Weston McKenney, who looked like had a little bit of a knock. He should be fine. I was fine with that sub in the second half. It's it's Zimmerman and it's Shaq Moore that got people riled up about it, uh, about this game and about Greg Baralter again. 
Baralter chose a different path, right? So there's two options. I mentioned this in the BR postgame show. Option one is to try to continue to go for it and continue to really step and be aggressive and, and, and do all of the things that the U.S. did in the first half. Option two is to pack it in. And Baralter chose the second option. I think the U.S. could have gotten three points with both. He decided to go to a back five, which made it maybe more nerve-wracking than the other option would have been. But I, I think there's reasons for it. Iran are not dangerous in the attack. So he said, yeah, we'll let you cross the ball and we'll deal with that. And it worked. So at the end of the day, I don't think I have any issues with those subs. Does Shaq Moore come on just because of his perceived better Ability defensive? to make me angry? Yes, that's why he comes on, yes. <laughs> no, but seriously. Like, it's because I saw Keith Moore was so good in the other yeah. game. Okay, he sure. more involved, <laughs> yeah, basically. Sure, of course, that, that checks out. <laughs> but is, is Shaq Moore seen as a more defensive-minded player than Sergino Dest? Is that why he comes on in that phase of the game? Because otherwise, I am... I am sort of struggling. I mean, yeah. there were some suggestions that Sergino Des was, was tiring a little bit, but I, I'm, I didn't really see that to any great degree. It still felt like he was quite influential, so that one was confusing to me. I, Again. Would, I would assume you're more comfortable with, with more staying home than Des. The other thing I was going to say is a yellow card situation with Des, but if you're already getting ahead of yourself to think about the knockout rounds and you haven't gotten out of the group yet, I think you're doing it wrong. So I don't think that argument that I was thinking about in my own head makes any sense. I think more you trust to stay back a little bit deeper. Maybe you trust him more in 1v1 defensive duels. It's just, I mean, Taylor, you and I were talking about this before we started recording. Just none of the the backup right back options are ones that you feel super excited about other than Joe Scally. But are you bringing on the, is he a teenager? Is he 20? I don't remember how old he is. Are you bringing him on? To close out a game at right back, probably not, right? Joe, Joe go, going against his own his own youthful demographic. I know, here. and my own namesake. <laughs> his well. own also that. His people. Um, I, if we're talking about like the team learning from past mistakes, it does feel like they learned DeAndre Edlin isn't going to be the defensive right back we needed him to be, or the outlet with the speed that we needed him to be. So in comes Shaq Moore against England, and I thought he was not good. I thought he was, I guess, okay defensively, but on the ball, uh, I talked about the one where he goes on a dribble and sort of dribbles the way like you would steer a boat if you didn't know how to steer it. It's a weird back and forth. He doesn't really have it <laughs> under control. Uh, he gives the ball away a couple times, and he does the exact same thing in this game. There's the one where they have a free kick. It's taken short. It's clearly meant to be slow it down, keep yeah. the ball, and he passes it literally to an Iranian player and launches a counterattack with the U.S. having numbers committed forward. This felt like one where I would have liked to see Joe Scali. Mm. I, w- I feel like, Fair. why not? Why not roll the dice? Do you need to that- change Dest out, though, at all? That, that's kind of my point. I'm saying if you're going to, if it is, like there was some reporting that he had said that part of the frustration that people saw in the England game was that he was mad that they hadn't protected him uh, against some of the physicality of England, but also that he was maybe overplaying or playing too many minutes, that that's what he yelled at Greg Berhalter when he came off. Whether or not that's the case, uh, I think Joe has made the point that it could be the yellow card accumulation. I, I think you could leave him on and I would have been okay with it, but if you are going more defensive, I just did not expect to see Shaq more in this game because of the way he played against England. And I hope we don't see him against the Dutch. It's not meant to be a shot at Jack Moore. It's just evaluating the way he plays. I don't think he makes the U.S. better, and I'm not sure he adds enough on the defensive side to justify that. I'd rather see Serginho Dest play 80, and then, I don't know, Walker Zimmerman come in and play right back or something. But uh, if you're not going to go Joe Scally, who I would rather have there. A um, lot of chat before the game about Gio Reyna once again. Mm-hmm. Um, Graham, do we assume that he's still carrying a niggle of yeah, some think- kind? Because... I mean, obviously, it's not probably not appropriate to bring him on in the last 25 minutes of this mm. game because it's not the kind of play you need at that point. But, I mean, he could, for the Netherlands, do we see him playing a role? Um, Against the Netherlands, I should say. Pro- probably not, given what we have seen so far at this tournament. At this point, 
I mean, you say that, Ryan, the, the final phase of the game, I understand that with the, the US bunkering, but there was a phase of the game where he could have come on and helped in possession, mm-hmm. certainly in terms of a low de- and playing against a low defensive block. This game and the Wales game, he surely could have been useful in those two games. So, yeah, I don't think it's too much of a leap now to assume there is a fitness fitness issue or an injury issue. Obviously, that's par for the course, unfortunately, with Gio Reyna at this point in his career. So I wouldn't count on seeing him in any great role against the Netherlands on Saturday. All right, next up is that Netherlands game on Saturday. It's 10 a.m. on Saturday Eastern, that is. We feeling bullish about that one, Joe? I don't know about bullish, but hmm. doable, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I watched the Netherlands game against Qatar pretty closely. I've watched their other group stage games pretty closely. I know a lot of us have. They are a good team with some game-changing talents, especially in, in Cody Gakpo up top. He's a phenomenal player that the U.S. will have difficulty shutting down. Don't don't get it twisted. But, I mean, this, this Netherlands team have not created a ton of chances from game to game. Their attack has been pretty reliant on Gakpo and pretty reliant on crosses as well. I thought they were better today against Qatar, but Qatar, the worst team at the World Cup, so that's not a huge surprise. And then defensively, Ryan... I think the Netherlands are, are fairly open. They like to man-mark through midfield. They're happy to extend their centre-backs, the outside centre-backs, forward in, in defence as well. So they'll track runners that drop into midfield. I think this team can be vulnerable. The U.S. should not be favoured in this match. The Dutch have more talent. They have more game-breaking talent than the U.S. I think that's pretty clear. But it's doable. Yeah, yeah totally doable. The, the U.S. have already shown that they're, they're pretty strong when they channel their, their play out to the wide areas. And I think, I can't remember what game it was, Ryan, they're all merged into mm-hmm. one at this point. But a previous Dutch game that I watched, um, they I highlighted that they were very poor in the wide, wide areas. And so if if the, if the U.S. can isolate them in, in those part of the pitch, then I think that in that part of the pitch, then I think that will be key. And also I think if the, the U.S. can close up the space between the midfield and the defence, so the theory is that you stop Cody Gakpo mm-hmm. running at you like he did today against Qatar, if, and it's a big if because he's very talented, if you can do that, then then it becomes about exec- executing your game plan in quick transition. So, yes, the individual talent gap is there in favour of the Dutch, but in terms of the matchup, there could be a, a lot worse matchups. We just come out of a group for the US where we all agreed the group was bad for the US in terms mm-hmm. of the, the tactical matchup. This, in theory could be a little bit better it's, it's one of the better round of 16 games that the u.s could have had i i agree i think uh tyler adams versus cody gakpo will yes. produce enough energy to like power the planet for a couple of years so we've <laughs> got a clean energy solution there that's nice uh but i think we could also see the the front two for the united states if they continue to do the kind of 442 defensive shape that they could try to screen uh the dutch midfield and then adams can sit on gakpo and suddenly you've kind of clogged that middle i don't know how netherlands being in a back three will influence that if that changes what the united states are going to try to do but i think it's going to be a really fascinating game and i think there will be opportunities for the United States, especially uh, in behind if you have Tim Weah uh, doing some of the Tim Weah things we've come to know and expect. I would love to hear y'all's thoughts about Tim Weah from tonight, because I was pretty hyped on him, but that doesn't seem to have been the consensus. Uh, The only other thing I will say about the U.S. heading into that Dutch game, I saw a stat from Doug McIntyre. Can you guess the last time the U.S. kept consecutive clean sheets at the World Cup? Oh, I think I saw this. I won't guess. All right, we'll go to Graham then. Uh, 94 or something like that. 1930. Yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> that is the last time the United States has kept two clean sheets. So that's uh, no small feat. Matt Turner doing big things. The defense looking solid. You never know. You never know. But with that said, what do we think about Tim Weah? I think he was okay in this game. I'm okay. not sure he was great. I'm not sure he was, was bad either. He has a couple of sort of memeable moments in, yeah. this, in this match where he dribbles right out of bounds. Taylor, I think you referenced it earlier. Maybe ah, yes. that was on a different show. I don't remember at this point. But It's been mentioned. He, he, so, somebody mentioned it somewhere sometime. 
time. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. He was he was okay in this game. He had some nice layoffs, a good one in the 38th minute on the goal sequence that, that comes from the ball from Matt Turner. He's able to key some of those kinds of moments. I found myself a little frustrated with him in this game because he never really seemed to take on an opposing defender. I don't think he loves to really face someone up and dribble right by them. Not sure that's in his bag, and this game would have been a helpful one, I think, to pull out some of that stuff. So, all told, not not a bad match, mm. but not maybe not a perfect one either. That's a really good call. You're right. That I think anytime anybody's like close in on him and they're facing each other, he's got that little burst of speed, but I don't think he's he's good enough on the ball, good yeah. enough with like the little like one two foot skills to get by the person. It's usually when he's got them on the run, when he's got a ball in behind, or when he's in a foot race. That's where you're going to see him uh, pull out some tricks and make an impact. So yeah, good shout, Joe. Yeah. I good thought point. his I thought he got into good areas, but his execution was maybe lacking mm-hmm. in a couple moments. And in general, I thought that that was true of a number of the US attackers. There was one attack in particular where you have Pulisic, uh, Sargent, I think it was, and Weah going out. I think it was a three-on-two situation, actually, for a yeah. moment. And Tim Weah, actually, we, we kind of talked yeah. about this after the fact. It kind of looked like maybe Weah had, was the one that had let the attack down. But I think his run is a decoy run to create the space for Pulisic, and he's surprised that Sargent plays the ball to mm-hmm. him. The ball should have gone to Pulisic, and then he's through on goal. So there were some nice moments from Weah, and then some poor moments of execution, but that was kind of a common theme throughout and, the match. And I think, to look ahead to Saturday, I think Tim Weah is the perfect winger for the US to play against the Netherlands, because there will be space in behind, there will be opportunities to drag them around and then play in behind. Tim Weah is like the guy on this U.S. squad that I think I want doing that stuff. So if we're saying he was like a five and a half or a six out of ten, uh, if that goal had stood, the one that was uh, disallowed for oh. offside at the very end of the first half, another outside of the foot finish that he tings off the post, I that would have made that. it a 15 out of 10, I think, because that was such a good finish from such a strange angle. But in the end, it doesn't stand in your right, Graham. He makes that overlapping run, and I think that's a really clever run. But it ends up looking like a breakdown play because I think Sargent goes for Weah over Pulisic. So uh, a few... Uh, missed opportunities there, and it could have been a different evening. But all the same, three points, USA advances, life good. Woo, life good indeed. We're going to carry on the US chat on our Patreon. Just one more question. I'll go around the horn for you. Uh, of the US campaign so far, of the group stage campaign, can you, you, you mentioned a rating out of 10 there for where. Let's have a rating out of 10 for the US so far in terms of uh, expectations met, in terms of attainment as well. Graham. And uh, difficult in terms of expectation. Do you want me to weight it against expectation or just a general rating? Just give me a number, Graham. <laughs> okay, 7 out of 10. Great. Yep. <laughs> Seven out of ten. That's where I was. Eight for me. Eight out of ten. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I'll go. I'll go with the seven eight as well. Why not? I'll the old seven pen. eight. The old <laughs> seven eight split. Seven point five. All right, guys. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to look at the rest of the games from this here Tuesday, including England's lovely win over the Welsh. Back shortly. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think... 
I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's take a quick look at Wales nil, England 3. Full disclosure, listener, we were mostly focusing on the US game for this one, but I had my eye on this screen as well. It was a Marcus Rashford brace with a lovely free kick. Was this the first direct free kick goal of the tournament, I believe? We think so, yes. We think so, right. I, I believe it is. It was very nice indeed. Was it helpful when we all nodded at you when you asked us a question on a podcast? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Vocalizing these things is generally a good thing. In yes, Ryan, we think it was the first direct free kick goal. Thank you. And we also think that Phil Foden got a start in this game and he got a goal for his uh, for his uh, efforts there as well. We had some few changes in this lineup with uh, Henderson, Foden and Rashford all starting. Maybe they've all learned their way into a game uh, at the weekend uh, for, the, uh, for the next game against Senegal. But this was a very typical England story. It's the, the flow of the game that I expected. I did predict a, a draw in the first half, a KG first half. Sterile possession in the first half. Basically what England do best. Ha- hogging the ball, but creating very little in the final third, yeah. which is generally what we saw in the first half. And then just needed five to ten minutes for the game to open up at the start of the second half and then went back to sterile possession mm. straight afterwards, which is... I, I, I actually admire Gareth Southgate more after this tournament than I have before because I think he's managed these games perfectly. Yes. You know, when he's needed it, it's been an aggressive, high-press style like we've seen against Wales and we saw it against Iran as well. But when he knows the team needs to sit back and perhaps play for a draw, I think that's what he did against the US as well. So I think Southgate... Deserves more credit than he gets in some quarters, Jared. I think that's fair. I mean, I don't always love watching this England team. I, I don't love watching them have those bits of sterile possession given the amount of talent they have. Mm. But you're right, Ryan. Gareth Southgate has managed these games pretty much perfectly. He didn't really need more than a draw out of the U.S. game. England played for a draw. Yep. He didn't really need more than a draw or really much of anything at all out of this game. England wait for the game to break open. It just so happens that Marcus Rashford is the one who breaks it open, right, with with the goal. Mm-hmm. And then he scores again, and Foden scores in between. I mean, England have yeah. the talent to drop three goals on you in the blink of an eye. They have the talent to drop six goals on you in the blink of an eye. 
it's irritating to watch that <laughs> talent go to waste at times. It's irritating yeah. to watch Phil Foden sit on the bench for two entire games or, or basically two entire games. But, I mean, this team, I think, has managed their group stage run pretty yeah. much perfectly and should be in position to beat Senegal on Sunday. And I think if you look at other aspects of this team in this game, uh, it's another clean sheet, which I think is pretty important. As you mentioned there, Joe, it's Foden and Rashford scoring, which I think has to give the whole squad yeah. a little bit of a bump, just that you've got more attacking options and more people scoring. But it is also a game where you are able to rest some people and play some people that you might not otherwise have played. And then Kyle Walker comes in. And I, I had Kyle Walker uh, pipped as we when we did our previews as like the most important player for England. It wasn't fit, wasn't going to be able to start the tournament but having him back allows you to have him as a right back, also allows you to play him as a right center back if you want to go with a back three against stronger opposition. And I think it really does uh, give England momentum with three goals scored, with another clean sheet, with players coming back, with players scoring goals. I feel like it's the exact result that was needed to maybe just bring back a little bit of confidence for England after that draw against mm. the U.S. Ryan, do you want to see Marcus Rashford play against from the start against Senegal on, on at the weekend? I mean, he was certainly impressive in this game. Yeah. Wales weren't up to much, so I'm aware of that. But, I mean, if you score two goals in the How game... How dare you dismiss their zero big chances and <laughs> .35 expected goals? Yeah. How dare that you? That made me so <laughs> happy, Taylor. <laughs> their first <laughs> chance on goal was in the 50th minute. So that tells you a lot of, uh, about the, post- the lack of positive intent, the negative intent they may have had in this game. Um, this game... Graham, though, did have the sexiest moment of the World Mm. Cup for me. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Jude Bellingham, when he receives the ball about five yards outside the box. I don't know what you call the move, where you turn 180 with the ball and lay it off simultaneously, like a Mm. twist pass of some sort. Very sexy indeed. And he set up Phil Foden for a shot, which went a few yards over the bar. But if that had gone in, that would have... I would have melted into my chair. I think I called his performance against Iran earlier in the tournament Zidane-esque, and that felt like a very Mm. Zidane moment. So I would further draw that comparison. If Matt Turner played a ball over top to Jude Bellingham who did that into a goal, would that just be it for you two? Would that just, oh, there's the high five, and I feel like you all would just, that we would never see you again. I think I'm just, yeah, I'm just going home, kind of done with soccer. It's, yeah. it's like when we were playing pickup last night, I was saying anytime you score a really good goal, you just have to sub yourself out. Like, that's it, I'm done, I'm leaving on a high note. Like, that's it, I assumed you two would have just that, walked out of the studio, we never happened, would have seen you again. We would have completed soccer, as you said. No, yeah, we don't need done. to carry on. Soccer the World Cup done. is over, soccer is over. Yeah, yeah well yeah, said. The soccer will be finished because Perfect. It, it, it reached its zenith. We did it. We you can stop playing the sport now. New games needed. Exactly so. So I'm pleased with England's progress. I'm feeling quite bullish, uh, to use that word again, for the game against Senegal, which I might not have felt immediately after the US game. But now I've got an appreciation, an understanding of the master plan that was going on with uh, Gareth Southgate. I can't wait for England to look like they did against Wales today oh, and still no. grab a 1-0 win at the end and for Ryan to be extremely irritated about all of this again. It's going to be fun. It is. Really excited about that. Trust the process, right? Trust the process. Let's clip this Um, for for some. I will say a note on Wales, who have to be very disappointed with how this tournament's gone, quite obviously. Gareth Bale coming out at halftime with an injury, and then the team subsequently falling apart very quickly afterwards. Not necessarily related incidents, but a very But anti- definitely very related incidents, yeah. Potentially so. <laughs> but very, very anticlimactic for the Welsh. Their first World Cup in 64 years. I'll tell you what, Grant, Michael Sheen needs to write a really good poem now <laughs> to get this Wales team back on track. Yeah, he needs to start now for the Euros yeah. in 2024. <laughs> start on that delivery. Yeah, so... Um, that's that's pretty much all I've got to say about the game. I, I do think that I'd like to see Rashford and, and, and Foden start the next game, though, because thems were good in this <laughs> were, were thems actually better than Sterling and Saka had been? It's definitely Sterling. I've, de- I've yeah. had Foden okay. and Sterling 100% every okay. time. Yeah, I don't think he's been super effective in this tournament, Sterling, thus far. Yeah, of the bits that I saw of this match, Rashford in particular just seemed to be absolutely electric, and he scores in the Iran game. Hmm. He's been in good form for clubs. So, yeah, I, w- I would agree on the... Uh, 
on the Sterling side of things. I think with Saka, maybe he gives you a bit of width and Foden mm. maybe congests things a little bit more. But yeah, I think Rashford should probably start against mm. Senegal. Nice to have the option, huh? Yep. There we are. Can't quite relate. <laughs> Shaq Moore up top. Let's hey, it there it is. There it is. Taylor. There we go. So that's Group B, England and the US going through. TSS victory all round. Graham Rutherford, very happy with both of those teams going through. Uh, mm. Sorry, Graham. We move briefly to Group Still A. Still better than Wales going through, yeah. somehow. Yeah? Do you really feel that way? Well, I'm used to it with England by now. Still not used to Wales being good. Okay. Better the devil you know, all that kind of thing. Indeed, yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, Group A, the Netherlands and Senegal going through. Uh, Ecuador 1, Senegal 2. No Mane, no problem, huh? 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 Senegal leapfrogging Ecuador. I cannot believe that. I really cannot believe that. Like, I think we had them. Joe and I did our, our like our rankings of teams when we did our tiers of the teams that were going to be at the World Cup, and we had Senegal in the happy to be here category specifically because of that Mane injury. Not just that Senegal are just uh, a team built around him; they're not. But he is such an important player for them as an attacker, but also as a facilitator, as a play, player who can hold up the ball, who can draw fouls, who can do so many things, and is just a veteran leader who has such high profile. For him not to have been there, I had no expectations for yeah. them, and for them to battle the way they have play some really good soccer at times play some really practical soccer at other times to fight back today after after being pegged back uh, it's a really really impressive performance for me from Senegal and that's where Ismail Assar has really stepped yeah. up as a difference maker for, for Senegal I also subscribe to the idea that Senegal would might be going out in the group stage of the tournament because Manny was their difference maker but Sar in this game he, he wins the penalty from which Senegal scored their first goal he's, he, he made good runs in behind he was making good decisions and he's really filled that void as, as the difference maker in the final third and some stats here so at this tournament he leads Senegal for shots on goal nine he is second for chances created and only Kylian Mbappe um, can better Sar's total of six chance creating carries in this tournament with mm. eight that's from Opta so that kind of tells you just how influential influential he has been for Senegal in terms of this game I thought in, ter- in terms of the spectacle obviously we found the US Iran game particularly engrossing but mm-hmm. we are slightly biased in that regard I thought this was the the most captivating match of the day this was everything you ideally want from a final group game there were different phases in the game you had one team reacting to the other and then vice versa you had loads, loads of tension it was really fast it was direct and actually I thought it was one of the best tur- uh, games of the tournament so far wow. from Ecuador's point of view I feel very Ecuador. sorry for them, Ecuador, because they basically played one bad half of soccer at this World Cup, and now they're going home. But I guess that those are, that's the stakes in a group yeah. like Group A, where there is a parity between three of the four teams in that group. It's, it's harsh on them, though. And the Ecuador players were looked very devastated, mm. and you do feel for them. I've kind of been mentally gearing up the last few days for England to yeah. face Ecuador, and now I don't know what to make of it. <laughs> because, I, as you say, this was a, a great final game, because we had a leapfrog on the, in the tables as well, and maybe not one that was expected. Yeah, indeed. And I think Senegal have the potential to give England problems, or maybe not so much problems in an attacking sense, but I think they can frustrate England. I think the physicality in this game. So we've seen teams at this World Cup not really handle Ecuador's physicality. Both Qatar and Netherlands struggled in that regard. But I thought Senegal did a really good job of that. They had a, a, a lot of joy as well in getting in behind Ecuador defence. So obviously that's something that the, the England is vulnerable with, the recovery pace of Harry Maguire and John Stone. So that could be a weak point for for them to to target. Idris Gay, he was good in this game. He's pushed up in behind Dia, but he actually gets a booking in this match. So mm-hmm. he won't be available for the England game. So that that is a blow. It's a shame. But I it's a think, shame. yeah, you're gutted about that. But um, <laughs> Senegal, as I say, have the potential to to trouble England. They score um, both goals from set pieces, one being a penalty, of course. But mm. the second one, Koulibaly's winner is from a set piece. Yep. And I also think that's an area where they could trouble England. So 
England definitely the favourites, but it's not going to be a gimme for them. Yeah, I mean, it, it's wild to me that they get that that free kick and the set piece goal from basically from kickoff, having just conceded. It felt like they were still showing Ecuador fans celebrating as Senegal set up to take their free kick that they then scored from. So again, that immediate fight back was really uh, really impressive. Graham, I know you were we were pretty enthralled by this game. And I understand why. I would say it wasn't the most technical of, no. of games. Uh, my prediction for this one was that uh, both teams would have fewer than 400 passes completed, so fewer than 400 for Ecuador, fewer than 400 for Senegal. Ecuador had 336 with a passing completion of 77. Senegal had 181 passes completed, 68% uh, completion rate. So definitely neither team really trying. I, I'd say uh, Senegal especially, I think, as the game goes on, not trying to create all that much content to kind of sit back and frustrate. Uh, but in the way that you get the kind of back and forth, you get that spectacle, you get Senegal leapfrogging, I think, yeah, pretty captivating game. Yes, indeed. And one more note on the, on the lack of money. All five of Senegal's goals have come from five different scorers as well. So hey. they got a lot of uh, talent across the field from an attacking perspective. So congratulations to Senegal. All celebrations for the Senegalese at the Mir Khalifa Stadium today. Uh, the <laughs> other game we need to talk about from Group A, Netherlands 2, Qatar 0. Cody Gakpo and Frankie de Jong getting the goals to seal this one. Joe, it felt in this game that the Netherlands could have scored even more possibly. And they've gone from failing to qualify at the last World Cup to being unbeaten and facing the mighty U.S. In the yeah. next round. Yeah, I actually do wonder how the Netherlands feel about facing the U.S. and what their perspective is. Maybe maybe we can do some reading, and, and I'll at least be curious to hear about what the Dutch perspective is about that game. I mean, Serginho Dest is probably going to have some feelings about it, I'll tell you that much. I am sure he is. I hope he just wears his fake Chicago Bulls jersey over the next few days and feels better. <laughs> I don't know what he's, his mentality is going to be. Either way, Ryan, the Netherlands I thought were good in this game. I said it earlier, but Qatar... Real bad, and were real bad in this match. Did virtually nothing to trouble the Netherlands. But there were a few different moments in this game that I think told all of us what the Dutch are about. They're playing in this back three that we've seen them use all throughout the tournament. They have in this match, it's it's Darun, who's in midfield. So I believe the third different central midfield combination for the Netherlands from game to game to game. Darun is playing more as a number six, and De Jong and Klaassen are pushed up more almost as dual number eights. But the width for the Netherlands comes exclusively from the wingbacks. It, it did in this game. It was Dumfries really getting forward on that right side. And then it was Memphis Depay and Cody Gakpo as the two strikers. And neither one of those players is a true number nine. Neither one is somebody who really wants to play with their back to goal and bring others really into the game running off them. They love to combine. And that's really how the Dutch score their first goal in this game. It's Gakpo, no surprise there, in the 26th minute. It's the Netherlands in possession. Memphis Depay drops in. He's playing as the left forward. He drops in to receive the ball, and it's Depay and Gakpo and, and Klaassen who combine, and it's Klaassen to Gakpo who then scores the goal with his right foot from the edge of the box. And that was pretty much Qatar done and dusted about 30 minutes into this match. Mm. The Netherlands are really good at that kind of stuff. They like to combine. If you give them space between the lines, if you give them space to turn, they'll exploit it, and they certainly did that against Qatar today. Taylor, if I'm picturing you at your happiest, I'm mm. picturing... Do you remember in Back to the Future where Biff has the, the alternate 1985 and he's in his hot tub and he's mm. watching his TV. I'm Biff in this scenario? Hear me out. All right. You are, you're Taylor in this scenario, but you're in a hot tub <laughs> uh-huh. and you've got Tyler Adams on one arm uh-huh. and you've got Cody Gakbo on the other. Correct. And you're sitting there going, this is the best thing. 
I mean, are, are they on my team? Like, like as long as long oh, as yeah. okay, cool. As long as like uh, they're in my five aside team uh, versus Graham's team that he hates. Um, <laughs> um, I, I feel I feel pretty good about my five aside team. I that was my illustration to say that you like both players very much. Basically, <laughs> by the way, I, I do. Not that uh, you're Biff. I think anytime I feel like like I mean you all have experienced this getting predictions and like like spotting a player in the preview that you're like oh that guy seems really good it's really nice to see him live up to that hype live up to that ex- expectation a little bit Cody Gakpo has been an electric player for the Dutch uh, he pops up in different spots he can clearly score from wherever he wants to uh, I thought he would I think my prediction was that he would uh, get away from three defenders simultaneously and create something from nothing and I'm gonna say that's what this goal was today uh, him doing that I was hoping Joe would lay that out himself so then I could just claim it without having to toot my own horn, but here we are. But yes, I think Cody Gakpo uh, has been one of the biggest stories of this tournament, biggest like kind of breakout players. We've talked about who the Hamas Rodriguez will be. Feels like it's going to be him. It's a shame that he has to be eliminated by the United States in only the knockout round, so we won't get to see more of him. But such is life, such is life. It's going to be hard seeing both those players on the field for you, Taylor, and one of them has to go. Well, the nice thing about having the relationship I have with Cody Gakpo and Tyler Adams (laughs) is that at the end of the game, Tyler and I can sort of comfort Cody. Uh, Cody and Tyler are not the players that I expected to be the big performers from this World Cup, i got to say. Not really the names you think of. Zinedine, Thierry, Cody. Not Mm. quite the same. Cody will still have his hoverboard, though, after yes. he loses on Saturday. Mm. So that's a good consolation prize. <laughs> Arguably the greatest Cody since Agent Cody Banks, mm. I would argue. <laughs> you made a sweet life of Zach yeah, this, and Cody today, sweet, didn't you? Sweet life of Cody Gakpo. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there we are. There we are. Um, Qatar's dismal showing means they became the first host nation to exit the tournament with three group stage losses, finishing bottom with no points. Aww. They bad. They real bad. And we kind of knew that from match day one. They maybe got a little bit better and were a little less embarrassing from game to Listeners, game. But like, I wish you could see how unconvinced Joe's face is when he says those I'm things. really not fully <laughs> yeah. convinced. I think yeah. the Senegal game was a bit better for them, but they were thoroughly outclassed today by the Netherlands, which is nothing to, to feel shame about because the Dutch do have a lot of talent. But Qatar kind of phoned it in for this World Cup. I've seen them play better soccer than they played in any one of these three games Whatever happened to this team, whatever went wrong for them, it went really wrong. Because this Qatar team never really threatened at all in this group. They did not put on a good showing. Just dismal pretty much all around. And, and it's a reminder of how difficult it is to build a good international soccer team where you know they had an eight-month training camp. They had Pep Guardiola as a, what was he, a consultant. They had Xavi Hernandez in that country for a number of years. Wait, sorry, Pep Guardiola was a consultant yeah, for Qatar? Yeah, he, he signed to some sort of deal with Qatar. Yeah, he's some yeah, sort yeah. of consultant. Yeah, Really? They have the Aspire Academy, which cost like a billion dollars to construct and all the scouting for that academy, and yet they still were very bad at their own World Cup. If Pep wasn't a bold fraud, things might have been different, Joe. Honestly, I mean, Pep really overthought this, didn't he? Yeah. For the Qatar. I think we can trace it all the way yeah. back to, to Pep Guardiola overthinking. <laughs> all right. Just one thing left to do on this here podcast. That's our very specific predictions for tomorrow. Did I, I think I got my VSP today, didn't I? You did, yes. Kenneth Seiden, who's been tracking all of this for us in the Discord. Thank you, Kenneth. Said you did. I have no clue what you predicted, but he said you and I got our predictions right, and that's all I needed to know. All right. Check the Discord for further details, but let's go into tomorrow's games. The 10 a.m. games. It's Group D's denouement. We've got Denmark against Australia and Tunisia against France. Then after that, at 2 p.m., Group C with Saudi Arabia versus Mexico and 
Poland against Argentina. Let's start off, uh, Graham, with mm. your prediction for Denmark versus Australia. So my VSP for that game is that Mitchell Duke will win more aerial duels than any other player. I think Australia are going to reuse the strategy which worked well for them against Tunisia and that's going to involve looking for Duke as often as possible with the crosses. I think Denmark might actually do something similar with uh, Cornelius and uh, and Kaya is strong in the air to defend against Duke. So there, there is a bit of... Uh, it's not guaranteed that I'm going to get this VSP, but I do predict that Duke will top the Aerial Jewels 1 column for this one. Graham, I believe a narrative that you established early on in this one was that it was the tournament of the big man that we are returning to to the big man on top. Is this your thesis statement, if it's Cornelius versus Duke? Yes, it is. Cornelius (laughs) versus Duke is not how I expected this World Cup to go, particularly with Denmark. Cody Tyler, Cornelius, Duke, it's nothing that anybody (laughs) had coming. Cornelius versus Duke, I feel like we've gone into like basketball, college basketball for a second. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like (laughs) colleges. <laughs> um, the other game in Group D, Tunisia versus France. I am going to predict that Tunisia will have less than 75% pass success. Uh, their pass success against Denmark was 75%. Their pass success against Australia was 76%. I think um, they've been a pre- pretty disappointing team with no goals scored so far. Uh, pretty long shot to qualify as it is for these games. I think they might try and go for it. Excuse you. Might try and go for it and get a bit sloppy in this game. I think that will bring their pass success down. France are probably going to punish them, even if there is very little at stake for the French. Joe, tell me I did good. You did good, Ryan. Thank you. Sorry, I also got a little distracted by multiple things. The sound that just came from someone's chair. It was a chair. And and the other sure. thing is, uh, the USMNT just tweeted out that apparently yeah. Christian Pulisic has been diagnosed with a pelvic contusion. Mm-hmm. So that's how we're framing that. Huh? Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's one thing to call it, yeah. I guess. That's yeah. another euphemism right there. Yeah. I, it seems Ab- that way. Abdominal, abdominal strain, pelvic contusion. Just say that he hurt his yeah. nuts. He's got sore balls. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, Taylor, Saudi Arabia versus Mexico, your VSP, please. <laughs> All right. We made it almost to the end. We're definitely over an hour, Mark, uh, before the uh, the nonsense began. Uh, I'm going to say that Mexico will have their highest possession and XG expected goal stats of the tournament so far. Uh, against Poland, 61% possession, 0.72 XG. Against uh, Argentina, way less than that, uh, 42%, 0.27. Uh, obviously, they will need to get a result here uh, and even if they don't advance they need a strong performance to round up this tournament and I think that means they're going to have a ton of the ball and many 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 shots very nice last but not least Joseph Poland versus Argentina what do you think Argentina are going to have at least 75% possession in the second half they're going to be desperate because mm-hmm. Poland are going to play anti soccer oh, which is boy. what they love to do oh, Graham no. loves Poland so much I do too Poland are going to make life difficult for Argentina who still needs something out of this game I expect Argentina to have to really push I don't know that Poland are going to break. They'll bend happily. But if Argentina are going to get something here, I think it might be later on in the game and they're really going to have to push for it. you say if they're going to get something? I mean, I don't know that it's fully guaranteed. Does anybody feel like Argentina are, are guaranteed to go through out of this group? Possibly. Yeah, no. we None of us do, right? None of us do. So, I don't know. Time will tell. Wowzers. All right, that's it for today's pod. Joe Lowry, thank you again for your services to podding. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Ryan. Graham Rutherford, pleasure podding. as always, sir. Thanks thank for you, podding. And Taylor Rockwell, love you, bad. Love you, buddy. Congratulations to you on getting your prediction point, and Joe and me. Graham, uh, good performance today, buddy. You tried your yeah. best. Thanks. Thank you. Showing up's half the battle, right? <laughs> mm. Yeah. Indeed. Cool. All right, listener, thank you very much for joining us on this one. We'll be back, as always, on the feed tomorrow. But for now, bye! Bye!